Salt Church has values that make it distinct, just like we've talked about different households. We all have different households. You may not even know that you have values in your family until you go to somebody else's house, and then you go, oh, they have different values than we do. And, then, and they may still be another godly family, but we talked about, you know, the Deese household has different values than the Clark household. There are some that are going to be unified, but Brandon is different from John Michael. So there's some things it's just, oh, that's just how the Deeses do it. Oh, that's how the Clarks do it. There's some things that's just a unique thumbprint. Well, we've been identifying that for Salt Church. Salt Church has a unique fingerprint that's different from Lighthouse. We love Lighthouse. We, we love Pastor Ken and, and the whole church in Lighthouse, but we're not Lighthouse. There's some things that make us distinct. Obviously, there's way more things that make us the same. But because we're a young church, we're a new church, we're defining, hey, what makes Salt Church distinct? How's it different from, from Lighthouse? Yeah. Um, so we've been identifying that. We've gone through different values. And we said, there's things we're going to emphasize. Of course, we want to teach and preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. But there are some things that we feel called to emphasize, that I, as the elder, as the pastor, have identified that the Lord has put in me to shepherd God's people towards to say, hey, this is going to be a distinct focus for us. And this is going to be a, this is part of our personality. All of these still grounded in the Word of God, but we're going to zoom in. We're going to give a couple of these doctrines, a couple of these things, more emphasis. We're going to give some of this more of a priority. So who knows what we talked about last week? God God is good. We emphasize that God is good, and we're defining that. We're not leaving that, because everybody agrees that God is good, but we will go so far as to define that in a very particular way, as to say God is good, God is not bad, God will not use, God does not, as his normative function, he does not create tragedy and catastrophe to say, ah, now, now have you learned? That's different from judgment, and we defined all that, and we spent some time on that. But we'll, you'll always hear me. When I pray for you, I'm not praying for, well, we'll see what happens. I'm praying with expectation. If somebody is sick, if somebody is dying, and I'm praying for them, and I'm not saying, Ooh, I'm saying, God, I believe you want healing and restoration. That is my expectation in my prayer. I will be surprised if they get sick and die. I will be shocked if this thing progresses. That would, that would confuse me. Not the healing, not the manifestation of your goodness, because we look to Jesus. Yeah. So that's what we talked about last week. Today's value we're talking about is we fight where the fight is. We fight where the fight is. And I'm going to explain what that means a little bit. So let's just pretend here we're looking at a map of a battlefield. So over here, the enemy's not really attacking. Over here, the enemy's not really attacking. Over here... The enemy's not really attacking. But over here, the enemy's making a big attack. If we're courageous, if we care about the cause that we're a part of, we're not just going to build all of our defenses and send everybody to this bunker. Right. Well, well, this bunker matters too. Well, of course it does. And so does this bunker, and so does this bunker, but the enemy's attacking at this one. So we should condense and focus, and we should fight where the fight is. It's a simple idea. Most folks, I think, would agree with it pretty quickly. So for us, what does that mean? Well, every church throughout history, every body of believers throughout history has to identify where is that fight. The faithful church will identify where is that fight. The faithful always has to say, this is the time that God put us here. This is the day we live in. This is the region we live in. This is the world that we're a part of. Where is the enemy attacking? 
That's what the faithful has to do. And then the faithful has to say, then that's what I'm going to. So for us, we identify that. We have identified what that is, what that looks like. For us, I'm identifying that for you. I'm saying it is the doctrines of man, as they would be called. The doctrines of man. What do I mean by that? We would, another way of putting it would be the doctrines of mankind. What do you mean by that? The doctrines that would pertain to God's design. God, God is the patriarch and the father of all, of all people everywhere. And then God's creation of Adam and Eve and, and the, the gender specifics that flow out of that. And then all of the implications that come downstream because God is the father. God creates his son, Adam. God creates Eve. Male and female, he creates them. And then all of the doctrines that would flow from God's good design. And we're going we're gonna to break that down a little bit. So what is the value of Salt Church? Specifically, because we live in the day we live in, and the moment we live in, we can, we can clarify and say our value is we emphasize the doctrines of mankind. Those biblical doctrines of mankind, we emphasize those. Why did you pick that? Well, because really the bigger idea there is we fight where the fight is. If it was 500 years ago, we wouldn't be emphasizing the doctrines of mankind. No. That wouldn't be our fight. Because the whole wide world understood the doctrines of mankind and nobody, almost nobody, fought against those things. Male is male. Female is female. uh, Homosexuality is wickedness. Like those were just, duh, just obvious to everybody. So the church didn't have to fight there. That was a bunker that didn't need anybody at it. That was a bunker that was like, you keep one guy posted there. You just stick Fred there with like a pitchfork and you're like, hey, Fred, if anybody says anything against this, just like poke them and they'll get and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you're right. It's just not it's just not under attack. But they had other fights that were under attack. And if they were faithful, they fought where the fight was. So this is not about we're fighting this thing. What we're doing is we're fighting where the fight is. And because we fight where the fight is for us. And in the United States of America, living in the West, for us, that means we will emphasize the doctrines of mankind. And and we're going to define that more clearly. I want to read a quote to you from a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Rundle Charles. She said, it is the truth that is assailed, or that means attacked. So she's talking about this, kids. The truth that gets attacked in any age is what tests our faithfulness. The truth that gets attacked in any age is what really tests our faithfulness. We are called to confess, not merely profess. If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition on every point of truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I am not confessing Christ. However boldly, I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Your loyalty is not proved here. Nobody's fighting. Your loyalty is not proved here because nobody cares. Your loyalty is not proved here because there ain't no gunfire. This is how you prove faithfulness. Elizabeth is like my favorite right now. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield is mere flight and a disgrace to a man if he flinches at that one point. I'm brave, I'm brave, I'm brave. 
If you flinch here, it's a disgrace. And you're not brave. You're not faithful. Well, I feel like I am, but you're not. Because you're afraid of the only thing that actually matters. The thing that you actually have to take heat for. That's the thing that proves, do I really believe what I say I believe? 500 years ago, Martin Luther fought where the fight was. The Catholic Church was preaching, teaching indulgences. This is crazy. So they were teaching that you could pay indulgences to the church. You could pay money for your sin. Hey, I sinned. So Chris comes to me. He's like, hey, man, I sinned. I'm like, what'd you do? He's like, I did this. I'm like, all right, 500 bucks. Now you're good. They they didn't have the revelation. They weren't walking in the light of the word of God, which was it's by faith alone that you are saved. It's by faith. It's not by works. It's it's by faith. It's not by works. It's by faith in the grace of God. It's not by your works. That was the fight. They wanted to kill him. He turned the world upside down because he, he preached only by faith. And he blew up the Catholic Church. And he continued to fight where the fight was, where he took the most heat. He could have preached on a lot of other doctrines. And by the way, he did. He did, because he was faithful to those things too. But he's known for faith, for preaching and teaching faith alone. Why was that a big deal? Because he fought where the fight was. That's what faithful Christians have always done. That's what the church has always had to do. We have to do the same. I'm sure for him it felt, I don't want to be that guy. You're just, you're just picking the hot-button issue. Well, in a sense, yes. The church should always be at the front of the hot-button issue. That's my argument. Every church should be emphasizing the hot-button issues of their day. You just want to talk about this because of that. You just want to talk about... We want to talk about these things because we fight for what is good and true and beautiful. That's what we want. We want what's good and true and beautiful. So because I love what is good and true and beautiful, when you attack that thing, of course, I'm willing to fight. So if we had been here 500 years ago, I'd be saying, we fight where the fight is. And you'd say, okay, where is that? And I'd say, we're preaching faith. It's, the, it's only by faith that you can be saved. Because that would, that would have been the heat. And y'all would have all been cringing. Just like, yeah, nobody's going to like this. Just like I'm going to say things later in this message that you're going to go like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Because that's where our fight is today. I don't, no, dude, no, dude, no, no, no. Yeah, I know. This is the day that we're in, though. This is our moment. No, I don't want to get into that subject. Why? Because they'll hate me. Exactly. That's that's because that's where Satan's fighting. So you see how this works, right? Like, if it's the thing that's more comfortable for you, then you know it doesn't matter. Right. And you know nobody cares. Yeah. But the thing that Satan is attacking, the generalized term of the doctrines of mankind right now, that, that makes us cringe because that's, that's the thing that they're going to cancel us for. That's the thing they're going to fire us for. That's the thing they're going to burn our house down for. That's the thing they're going to deplatform us for. That's the thing that they hate. So it feels like, <laughs> let's not do that. And I'm sure plenty of people told Martin Luther the same thing. Yeah. Dude, just preach on... The blood of Jesus and just preach on this and preach on that and preach on Martin, just preach on the goodness of God's design for men and women. And he'd be like, why? Nobody cares about that. Nobody's fighting against that. Like, I'll preach on it. It's an important truth to, re- to, to remind everyone. But I've got to I've got to correct the gigantic lie that's taking place. And that has even come into the church yes. and the doctrines of mankind 
have been perverted by the world for sure. That's an obvious case to make. I don't have to spend much time proving that to you. But it has even come into the church. So it is only the ignorant or the coward who says, why do you talk about hot button issues? Because those are the issues that need it most. We want what's good, true, and beautiful. We don't want to fight. This is not arguing and fighting for arguing and fighting's sake. I don't want to fight. I want everybody to bow the knee to King Jesus. That's what, if everybody bows the knee to King Jesus, I'll shut up. You want me to shut up? Bow the knee. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Yes, bro. Is this a question? Yes. What do you mean by hot button issues? Thank you. Good question. Hot button issues. So let me say it a different way. The, the issues that are considered very controversial. There are some things that I can say that nobody cares about. I could say the sky is blue. Actually, in our day and age, someone would argue with me on that. But <laughs> if I said the sky is blue, most folks aren't going to have a problem with that. But if I say something like men should always get married to women and women should always get married to men, that is a hot button issue that people would see that as controversial. People would see that as offensive. Okay? So if I say things like, and, and I'll get into those, but that's what hot button means. Ooh, that's a hot button issue. That's going to create anger. That's going to create frustration. That's going to create offense. Sure, that's one way of looking at it. Does that make sense? So good question, buddy. So why are you talking about those things? It's not that we want to fight, but if you're attacking what's good, true, and beautiful, oh, we're definitely willing to defend. Another word for controversial could just be called Faithful. Not always. I mean, sometimes, of course, you could just be controversial just to be a jerk. But you could just be controversial because you're faithful. Guys, look at Jesus. (laughs) He just just wanted to stick with the status quo, right? He didn't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't know why we think it would be so different for us. So I have three sons. If somebody is attacking... And harming one of my sons. And I defend the other two. I'm going to protect them. Am I a good father? No. No, I'm not. Boys, what do you think daddy would do if somebody attacked one of you? Do you think I'd be nice to him? Do you think I'd be like, hey, let's talk about this. I know you have certain feelings. I know you want to hurt my son. But I would like for you to not do that. I'm hoping maybe we can find, you know, if I could hear more of your story, maybe I would understand a little. You think I'd be like that about it? What do you think would happen? I think he would whip off his cojones. Hey, 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 hey. You're, You're going in the right direction. Good job. You're going in the right direction. My man. Good boy, Hudson. So, exactly. So, Hudson has it right. Hudson knew exactly what would happen. And, and we all know that's just the good and right and normal thing. That's, the, that's obvious. So, in the same way, if, if somebody's breaking into my home and they're, and they're attacking through a certain window... And I go fortify the front door. I barricade it and I put a sofa in front of it. I'm like, nobody's getting in this front door. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody's getting in this front door. Well, of course they're not. They're pouring in the window. They're pouring in the window. Yeah, but this front door, I'm just, I'm not going to budge an inch on the front door. Well, nobody cares. And by the way, eventually you won't have the front door anymore either. And this is what's going to happen for the cowardly church. This is what is happening in the cowardly church today. 
We're defending the front door. And I don't even know what some churches would consider the front door. But this doctrine we'll never budge on. Like, God exists or something like, you know, that something that they say they're going to stand on. But because they let snakes come in from everywhere else, yeah. we're defending this and we're defending this and we're defending this. Oh, this one is going to offend people if we fight here. So we'll let them come in. Well, surprise, surprise. Somehow we lost our other three bunkers as well. How did that happen? We were so faithful to hold on to those. But eventually when you're unfaithful in an area, it's, it's a temptation to become unfaithful everywhere. Because that's what cowardice does. Cowardice means I'm afraid. Why am I afraid? Because of unbelief. So if I have unbelief in my life, then that unbelief is going to spread and spread and spread until everything, ultimately the word of God is the thing that Satan is always attacking. He's always attacking God's word. He did that to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say that? That's always been his question. He just angles it to to a new perspective and to a modern day. Did God really say? Yes, he did. Whoa, easy. Don't, you don't have to be a meanie about it. So if, if I love my sons, I'll protect them and I'll fight when they're attacked. If I love my family, I, I defend where the attack is coming from. Well, the front door matters too, brother. Yeah, it does. But I'm going to prioritize what matters most and what's being attacked at that moment. In 1 John, let's turn there. Thanks, babe. So you're going to go to, uh, it's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we got a bunch of New Testament letters, and then we keep going forward, and eventually you get 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So if you go to Revelation and then come back to the left a little bit, you'll find 1st John. 1st John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are we just reading the Bible? I think we're just reading the Bible, right? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does, does the will of God abides forever. So the world here is a different world from like John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. This is a different world. That, when it said God so loved the world, it means God so loves people. But when he's saying here, don't love the world, to love the world is to not love the Father, to love the world is to not have the love of the Father. He's talking about the world system. He's talking about the things that the world would attack, the things that, where the world would make a stand against the word of God, the principles that the world has. 
don't love those things and go so far as to hate those things. Why? Because you love what's good and true and beautiful. Because you love God, you can't have a neutral position. If there was a, an evil man out in the world who hated one of my children and was bent on destruction, I don't have a neutral attitude towards him. Ah, you know, he's a good guy. We're going to try and work it out. No, there can be no peace. There can be no peace until he bows the knee to Jesus or he chooses his own fate by taking action. So those are the only possibilities. This is the same attitude. This is what loyalty to King Jesus looks like. This is why the saints have been martyred forever. This is why the Old Testament prophets sent by God were cut in half, were killed, were burned, were beheaded. They came to the people of God with a message from God. And what did they do? They fought where the fight was of that day. God didn't send his prophets to say, hey, go talk to everybody about this feast and how happy I am with how great it's going. No, God would send his prophets to say, hey, you're going to the front of the battle. Oh, Lord, they're going to kill me. Yeah, they will. But you're going to say what I need you to say first. But they're going to kill me. Yeah, but you, do you, are you going to be faithful to me or sin against me? Like, what, what options do you have here? We're reminded of our hope, though, in these verses. So don't love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you find love for the world in you? Do you find, oh, well, I really want to see it from their point of view. No, I want to see it from God's point of view. Well, I think if I understood somebody's story, a lot of times we use compassion and wisdom as just excuses for our cowardice. I've done it many times. It's a real temptation. Well, I think I got to, you also got to understand, you got to remember, you have to stand firm on the word of God. Jesus will never scold you for doing that. When you get to the other side, when we cross the river, he's not going to say, hey, you know, your zeal for me, it was a little much. I would have loved for you to dial it back. This is not an excuse for lack of compassion, but this is to bring clarity and conviction. And he reminds us in, the, in verse 17, and the world is passing away with all of its desires. So if you love the world, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get what the world is get, getting, dying, death, and the destruction and judgment to come. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, thank you. That's, a, that's an encouragement. Don't love the world. And he knew that's going to be hard. So he says, but remember, if you love me, you'll live forever. There is reward. But it all has to come down to not fearing people more than you fear God, not wanting what you want more than you want what God wants. There was an ancient church father uh, named Athanasius who was fighting for the doctrine, uh, talking about how Christ was eternal, the eternal son. There was another guy who was teaching and preaching like, no, Jesus was created. Uh, not, not very different, different from what we talked about, Nicholas. Nicholas, when he punched that dude in the face, jolly old Saint Nick punched that guy in the face because he was saying Christ was not an, an eternal being. So this guy, uh, Athanasius, was fighting for the same doctrine. He's saying, no, Christ is distinctly God. Christ is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. The Father is eternal. And at one point, he's, he gets excommunicated. He gets, like, thrown out. Again, he's fighting where the fight is. That was the fight at that time. That was the doctrine that needed it. He gets exiled like five or six times to different places, sent off, abandoned. He's living in his father's tomb, hiding out from people. Not an ideal life. Not his hashtag best life now. But he was being faithful to God. 
And in doing so, throughout this process, somebody eventually says to him, Athanasius, don't you know that the whole world is against you? And he said, if the whole world is against Athanasius, let it be known that Athanasius is against the whole world. Why? Because he loved what was good and true and beautiful. It's not that he wanted to fight. Bow the knee. You want me to stop fighting? Then surrender. That's how this ends. Otherwise, nothing else will stop it. Nothing. And the church has always done that. The faithful church has always done that. The cowardly church, also known as not the church at all, has always pretended. Well, we're gonna, you're gonna be unfaithful. Don't judge. I will judge fruit. I will always judge fruit. And I will always run away from backsliders because I am afraid of God. I don't want to go to hell. I do love what is good, true, and beautiful. And by his grace, I'll continue to walk faithfully with him. I've got enough fear and cowardice in me. I don't need to surround myself with other people pleasers. I need to surround myself with saints who love God and who want to get in the fight. Well, but does it really have to be there? It has to be whatever it is in the day and age you live in. You don't get to choose it. You don't get to pick your battle. World War II, soldiers didn't say, I don't, I'd like to not go to Germany. I'd like to not go to Japan. Well, you don't get to pick. That's where the fight is. Can we go to Brazil? No. I'm in the army, though. I just want to go to Brazil. No. Maybe if you want to chase Nazis to Brazil after they escape to, Brazil, to, to the South America later, you could do that. But, that. but that's not where we are right now. It's not where the fighting is. I want to fight for my country in Brazil or in Mexico. You can't fight for your country in Mexico right now. The enemy of the world who is proceeding to take over the world is a Nazi. That's who we have to fight at the moment. Yeah, but the Nazis have big guns. Yeah, tell me about it. Like, welcome to combat, buddy. This is the game. This is what we signed up for. It's the same thing for us, church. It's been the same thing. It was the same thing for Luther. It was the same thing for Athanasius. We're not special and we're not extra courageous either. It's just faithfulness. It just looks like being faithful. And God commands and requires faithfulness and he rejects cowards. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Verse 6. Revelation 21, 6. And he said to me, Jesus said to him, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this her- the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Who's talking? Remind me. Jesus, Jesus is talking. Say it again. Say Jesus is talking. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and for murder, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This thing builds, and it starts with cowards. Come on, Jesus, they're just a little bit scared. Come on, Jesus, have some mercy. 
He's just a little bit timid. The cowardly will have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. The faithless will have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Come on, Jesus. What would Jesus do, Jesus? The detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars. Burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't want to be a coward. The word coward here means fearful, timid, and afraid. Why is cowardice so bad? Again, because cowardice comes from unbelief. And unbelief always continues to spread. Why am I afraid of what this person is saying? Why am I afraid of what this person can do? Why am I being cowardly to speak up right now? Because I don't believe something. I don't believe something. There's something that I'm not believing. I don't believe that God is bigger. I don't believe that God is worth it. I don't believe that he's worthy. I don't believe that he's going to reward me. I don't believe that one of those things is true. I believe that this person is maybe correct instead of what God is saying. Cowardice comes from unbelief. But when I believe the word of God, I'm no longer cowardly. This is what we see in scripture. David stands before Goliath. Why was he not cowardly? Because he didn't have any unbelief, specifically about his God who would deliver the uncircumcised Philistine into his hands. Cowardice leads to unbelief and cowardice in itself is a form of unbelief. And Jesus says, no, only those who are faithful and endure to the end will be saved. It's still going. So one one commentary, Barnes notes on the Bible, he says, the cowards are those who didn't have firmness boldly to maintain their principles or who were afraid to assert themselves as the friends of God in a wicked world. Assert yourself as a friend of God in the wicked world. If everybody says the whole world's against you, you say, let it be known that I'm with Jesus. Well, then that means you're against the world. So be it. Put me in the train car. Send me to the prison camp. So what? I will be given. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I will get to enjoy. I will get to drink from the spring of water of life without payment. I will have this heritage. He will be my God and I'll be his son. If I believe that, all of a sudden the cares of life become... What if they kill you? Oh, no. Then what? Then they might make fun of you. Oh, no. Then what? Belief rises up, though. Where does belief come from? From the word of God. That's where faith comes from. Amen. Not from John Michael, not from borrowed conviction, yeah. but from God's word itself. This is, this is where faith comes. And when I continue to get the word of God in me... Oh my goodness, I can't believe I was worried about that thing. I can't believe I was afraid of this thing. I can't believe that I was thinking that way. Now, do we want the encouragement of the saints? Of course. But the coward isn't a believer. And he always slides deeper into unbelief and faithfulness. This is why we fight where the fight is. So I want to read a portion of something to you. This guy says it better than I could. He does an excellent job of defining um, why the fight is the doctrines of of mankind right now. I'm going to read this portion to you. A little bit lengthy, so pay attention and stick with it. But his, his name is Non Tennant. He says it well. He says, if Martin Luther were alive today, he would not be preaching faith alone. He would be preaching the father rule of God, the creation order of Adam and then Eve, and the culturally hated theology of sexuality that flows from these doctrines. Doing the will of the father is not always difficult. Easy bunker, easy bunker, easy bunker. Praise God. There's plenty of places where it's just... 
Ah, that's easy. That's, that's, that's a great flow. The Pharisees banked on this. No one thinks less of us for certain Christian behaviors, right? No one thinks less of us if we give generously to the poor, right? Nobody's going to fight us on that. That's a bunker that doesn't need any defense right now. Right. Or if we treat people kindly. But our Father's will is sometimes difficult. And it is most difficult when it is most unpopular. That's when it's most difficult to obey God, when it's most unpopular as well. Thus, our faith is not proved by whether we generally obey at bunker one, two, and three, but whether we obey when people will hate us and exclude us and revile us and spurn our names as evil at bunker number four. So what is the doctrine that the world and the devil are attacking today? Where is the point where which the battle rages in the 21st century that we may test our loyalty and courage on this point? The world does not very much mind Christian godliness, faithfully living out our God-given duties, provided we perform it as an androgynous person. That means neither male nor female. We're just doing it as a human. The duties that are common to all Christians, these do not offend them. It is the duties which are unique to each sex that require silencing. If you argue for the inerrancy of scripture or a young earth creationism, you are not seen as a pariah in the secular workforce. Men who preach the lordship of Jesus and the coming judgment are not protested on university campuses. It is those who dare to preach masculine and feminine piety or godliness grounded in and the creation order of Adam and Eve rooted in the fatherhood of God. They are the ones who are canceled and ghosted, defunded and deplatformed, slandered as misogynists and vilified as evil because this is where the battle rages. Nan says there are only three kinds of professing Christians in the pulpit of the Western world. I'm changing it to say there are only three kinds of professing Christians in the Western world. Number one, the sexually immoral, who, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's one kind of professing Christian. That's a quote directly from Scripture, by the way. People know in their heart what God says. No, my friend says, right, but except God says. So we'll we'll be kind enough to listen and honest enough to tell the truth. Number two, the other kind of professing Christian, the cowardly, who, though knowing God's decree and seeing in their pews soft men and hard women with all manner of impropriety, knowing that the scripture warns that such will not inherit the kingdom of God, they say nothing for fear of their jobs. He's referencing pastors in the pulpit. Like, man, the, the, the women aren't feminine. The men aren't masculine. These things matter to God. These things are biblically made plain. Um, This is something that I should teach on and talk about, but they're going to hate me for it. Why? Welcome to bunker number four, John Michael. Yeah. I just want to preach on this. I bet you do, John Michael, because everybody's going to go, that's such a good word, Pastor. But we talk about their sin, you're never going to see them again. Right. They'll go up the road, and then they'll all talk about how you preached that sermon. Yeah. You misogynist jerk. (laughs) How dare you? Tell a woman that she has sin in her life. You don't do that. You talk about men's sin, by the way. They're men. Get it together. Come on, guys. So these are things, these are temptations. 
There's a third kind of professing Christian, though, the faithful, who, knowing God's decree and the futile ways that they themselves inherited from their fathers, strive to not be conformed to these former passions, but struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, calling all people to similarly submit themselves to the lordship and the law of Jesus according to the gospel, according to the glory of the blessed God. Only one of these professing Christians is safe from the wrath to come. It is not on the basis of his works. No man's godliness is sufficient, regardless of how well he lives in repentance. It is only on the basis of his faith, a faith that has to be shown to be living by living it. Obediently striving daily to submit to the duties of manhood that God has given him, or for a woman, to womanhood that God has given her. Are you saying that there's a way to live as a man and a way to live as a woman? Yes, welcome to the point. That, these are the doctrines of mankind. Distinctly masculine matters. Distinctly feminine matters. And Satan is attacking that. Yeah. He, he, no, no, no. We can be androgynous. Androgynous means neither male nor female. Right. Humans are just supposed to be humans. People, it's just people. Some guys can do this. Some guys can do that. Now, don't go too far. I'm not saying what I'm not saying. I am saying what I am saying. Over time, I'll continue to define these things for you. Sure. So if you're hung up in your head or was he? Maybe. I might be saying that. I don't know. But we'll get to that together. If you have questions, ask me. But not right now. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the sexually immoral, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So that was Nan doing some heavy lifting for me there, explaining some of those things. So more specifically, and I'm closing, the following verses and teachings and those like them are what we preach, what we rejoice over. We're not doing this like, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. No, good news, good news, good news. Well, they're not going to take it as good news. It doesn't matter how they're going to take it. It is still good news. Why? Because it will save them from destruction. And this actually is the best blessing they can get. But they think what they have is a blessing. I know, but they are wrong. So we have to have that conviction to joyfully proclaim and to obediently live it out for them not to slide their way and to get more androgynous in our marriages or in our sexuality or more approving or more silent i'm not going to approve it i'm just never going to say anything so this is what we preach rejoice over obey and defend because these things are good true and beautiful And because they are where the heaviest fighting is happening and where our enemy is most demanding of our retreat. So some some simple couple simple scriptures here, again, that root a lot of our arguments and serve as a lot of our defense and ammunition. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God made them male and female. It's a lot more here than maybe what meets the eye. But this is our response to the spirit of the age that pushes for gender-neutral androgyny and all of the perversions of homosexuality. I'm not going to dignify it by listing the, the, the acronyms that they use. So, next verse, 1 Corinthians 11:4. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, the head of Christ is God. Later in the chapter, verses 8 through 9. For, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. 
This is our response to the spirit of the age that calls for an end to God's good established hierarchy and then seeks to reverse it. So what's most likely? What's most likely to offend or enrage our friends, our neighbors, and our loved ones? Is it when you say, I love Jesus? Or is it going to be, I submit to my husband? Which one of those? Where, which, can we identify which bunker we're at here? I love Jesus. Is that, is that where the heat's going to hit you? No. no, I think I love Jesus is probably, that's nice. They'll pat you on your little head. You little sweet little Christian. That's adorable. You keep your little Jesus. I submit to my husband. Whoa, careful girl. What do you mean by that? God created heaven and earth. I believe that. What bunker is that, everybody? I think God's our creator. Will somebody think you're wrong? Well, yeah, they're going to think you're wrong. But are they, are they going to like try and burn your house down and destroy your life or get you fired? <laughs> or get you banned from your social media account? Nah, that's fine. We'll tolerate that, you, you crazy Christians. God created heaven and earth. No big deal. Homosexuality is sinful and unacceptable to God. Hmm. I don't know where that one would fit, do you? (laughs) Jesus died for our sins. That's fine. You can believe that. Or God made people male and female, and they cannot and should not oppose his good design. We know what bunker that goes to. It's a sin to murder. Two thumbs up from the whole world. I'm the head of my wife. Whoa, 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 whoa. Michael, let's talk privately, man. Like, uh, what's going on here? You can't say that. What do you mean by that? You hate women. That's what you're saying, right? You hate women? You, you hate women. Got it. Got it, Michael. Understood. The world is crazy. The world is backwards. The world is upside down. Jesus commands us all to love one another. Sure. Go for it, Christian. Or men and women have different designs and different roles in life. I think I'm proving the point. Hopefully I'm creating some squirming for us. And at the same time, the squirming that you feel confirms everything I've already said about, first of all, we have to fight where the fight is. We don't want to talk about those things. I know we don't, which is evidence that we must. Why? Because we love what is good, true, and beautiful. Courage is the legacy of the church. Jesus was our example. He fought where the fight was so fervently that the government killed him and the church killed him. The, the, Jew, the, the Jewish leadership and the government kills him. We have this. This is our heritage. This is in our bloodline. Yeah. Jesus didn't come to make everybody happy. He said, I bring a sword. I will turn father against son, mother against daughter. Members, enemies will be members of their own households. You'll be enemies with one another yeah. because of me. He said, don't think I've come to bring peace. Yeah. I'm just quoting Jesus again. Yeah. Why do we expect something so different for us? Why would I expect? No, Lord, I just, he does command us, live at peace with everyone to the degree that you're able to. Yes. I will live at peace with the whole world. But the minute you try and come in this house at 2.30 in the morning, you have chosen your fate. Mm-hmm. You have made that decision for me. I didn't do that. I didn't want to fight. If you submit, if you retreat, then we can all live happily ever after. But if you think I'm going to, no, that won't happen. Because then I'd be a coward. So Jesus declared that he was the truth. And since then, the faithful saints have always fought where the battle was most fervent in the name of the truth, who is King Jesus. This is our purpose. We love God and we love people. Yes. 
So we don't want people to destroy their lives with sin. And we will not be cowardly while people share flagrant and belligerent rebellion before God, where they rejoice in their sin. They, they literally build parades to celebrate their sin, and they demand that you celebrate with them. There was a day and a time where it was okay that you said, nah, it's not my thing. Now that day is over with. They don't just require your tolerance for these doctrines, for all of these doctrines. They require your approval. They require your support. And they have words for if you don't. And they mean nothing. Because we're afraid of God's words, not theirs. Amen. You're at this. You're at that. Man, I've been called it all before. I just want Jesus to call me faithful when I show up. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. Help us to have a love for people that causes us to tell them the truth. Help us to have a hatred for sin that causes us to snatch people from the fire. Make us a church that fights where the fight is. Lord, we didn't pick this fight. We didn't pick this battle. We didn't pick this day. But the enemies of God have have been raised up. Satan and the spirit of the age are attacking people all throughout the world, all throughout the West in particular. And in our country that we love, that you've placed us in as missionaries, God, we see what this country is struggling with. It's basic doctrines, God. It always is. It was the basic doctrine of faith for Luther. It was the basic doctrine of the the eternal life of Jesus Christ for Athanasius. For us, it's a basic doctrine of man is man, woman is woman. The two are different and the two are good. If you're a man, it's good to be a man. If you're a woman, it's good to be a woman and your designs are different. And God, as we continue to raise our voices, as we go out, God, fill your servants with boldness. Just like the early church, they were told, shut up, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, you consider for yourself whether we should obey God or man. But as for us, we can't help but say what we know to be true. God, let it be said for us, we have good news. Not news that we're ashamed of, not news that's outdated, not news that's old-fashioned. But news that is good, timeless, pure, and perfect. God, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Help us to fight where the fight is. We don't desire to harm people. We don't desire to wound people. We desire to heal, to pour in the oil and the wine. And we know that that can only come through repentance and through people bowing the knee to King Jesus and all that comes along with his kingdom. We love you. We choose you. We repent of our sin and cowardice. And we ask you to lead us forward in wisdom and in strength. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen.